This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my friend Troy Vaughn. So I talk over with Troy about his journey into Western hunting. So uh, he's fairly new to Western hunting and this adventure style, and he's gone all in. So he plans these trips every single season, puts in the work, uh, and this year he was able to find success. And so we kind of recap his um his hunting season and experience and uh, things he's learned along the way just made for a great conversation and a great episode at Eastman's Elevated. We'll get right into the podcast. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Element. Uh, so Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Uh, and Element is a, a hydration supplement. So uh, you add it to your water and you're able to get electrolytes out of it and better hydration. Uh, dialing in electrolyte intake can be beneficial for anyone that's prioritizing restoring health through hydration. Proper hydration leads to better sleep, sharpens focus, improves energy, and much more. So, um, you know, this is huge. Like, uh, I've noticed that, that hydration is more than drinking water, and especially as we're working so hard and sweating so much. So, uh, it's about finding this this balance with hydration, and Element really helps with that. Uh, so it's got no sugar uh, additive to it. Uh, it's got uh, electrolytes, uh, sodium. It's got everything you need. And I've bonked before just drinking water where I can't drink enough. So uh, Element just has this this great additive, great flavor. You know, and there's so many benefits from electrolytes. So you know, you can maintain steady energy. Uh, improve cognitive function, uh, you suffer fewer headaches. Uh, it's a great way to experience fewer muscle cramps. I had a cameraman this weekend that was having muscle cramps and able to give him some of this uh, element to add in his water, and um, next day he performed really well. Uh, it supports fasting. Uh, you know, it's just um, you get better sleep, uh, regulates digestion. It just really helps with performance. So, uh, you know, try this stuff out, you guys. I'm really impressed by it. I really like it for both of my uh, endurance running and then also uh, my hunting and big hunt. So uh, really impressed and really like the flavor of it as well. Uh, so we have a promo going. You have to go to the landing page and then you can get a free gift. And it's a, a trial pack of all the different flavors. So you have to go to Drink Element, and that's L-M-N-T dot com, and then backslash Elevated to get that free gift. So go check it out. They're a great company, and we really appreciate their support here on Eastman's Elevated. I also want to thank Cryptech. Um, I've been using Cryptech for the last few years, and I'm really impressed. It's great technical mountaineering gear. And... And our clothing is our first line of defense against the weather and adverse conditions. To be able to stay out there longer, to be able to hunt more effective, to be able to be comfortable, 
and, and I just couldn't be more impressed. They have everything I need from my early season hunts all the way to my late season hunts. I tried out their new uh, bamboo lightweight breathable uh, sun hoodie this year and really impressed by that thing. It's like one of the best pieces or my favorite new piece from Cryptech. Uh, but all the way into late season, uh, they've got you know puffy pants, puffy jacket, which are great insulating layers. Uh, I really like their pants and their fit. Uh, the pants I've been using in the late season have uh, zippers on the side to kind of let air in to help cool during heavy exertion. And, um, man, and a great camo pattern, too. Like, uh, that Obscura Transitional, I swear it blends in better than any camo pattern I've seen and gives me a real advantage bow hunting, being able to get close. And we all know that ungulates pick up on movement, but this really breaks up my outline where deer can look right at me and they almost seem like they're looking through me. So I think I get a huge benefit out of that in my bow hunting uh, just great gear all the way around from early season to mid season to late season. I couldn't be more impressed with their gear and uh, really thank those guys for their R&D team uh, and continually uh, evolving their 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 gear, adding pieces to it. I just have the best system I've ever put together for hunting the West. So thanks to those guys. Go check them out over at Cryptech. And with that, over at um, Eastman's, we've got the podcast. Of course, go check out Dan and I's other podcast. Uh, it's on a different feed, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Life of a Bow Hunter. We've got a great question and answer that came out this week. In fact, it's out already. We're starting to release those on Wednesdays. Uh, so you can go over and listen to that one. It's a great podcast. Uh, listen to Ike on his podcast. He's Eastman's Hunting Journal. You can find it on that feed. Uh, we also have the Wingman, the Western Huntsman with Jim Huntsman. I did a, a podcast with Jim on elk hunting. We we're going to get together here this November and talk the rut as well. So uh, I need to hit him up jump on the podcast in fact i need to get him on eastman's elevated uh, he's a great elk hunter and does a great job but go check out those check out our beyond the grid that's our internet tv show uh, you can search eastman's hunting tv and find it on beyond the grid there's some great episodes with ike on there i've got a couple episodes dan's got a couple episodes a couple of his biggest bulls to date so go check that out check out the magazines um, also check out tag hub we're coming into uh, tag application season and we've totally revamped our tag hub uh, it's complete with mapping systems uh, we've we've uh, you know we put the the information in an easy to digest format uh, it's just a great program and a really good buy for the money so you can check that out mule deer course is still available you can find that uh, let's see promo codes for uh, Eastman's tag hub you can put in Brian for the mule deer course uh, you can put in uh, Brian MDC, and um, those will save you some money and maybe get you a free gift as well, as long as we haven't ran out of them. So go check those out and uh, everything we're doing over there at Eastman's. Uh, I've been writing a bunch of articles for EBJ and EHJ. Those are our two magazines. Each one comes out with six issues per year. Uh, great subscriber stories, staff articles. Uh, you know, absolutely everything that we can pack in there to make you a better Western hunter. So check those out as well. And with that, man, um, yeah, having fun. I'm down to my last hunt of the year. Did a long weekend last weekend. Just so much fun. It's absolutely peak rut. Chased some great bucks around. Close calls. Good glassing. It's just like so fun. So uh, going to get these podcasts out. Get you guys one for next week. And I'm going to go um, get out of here and 
go uh, connect with some of my Hawaii buddies, and then we're going to go um, do some hunting for mule deer. So, yeah, I can't wait. Population looks good in this area, which is really good. You know, I was a little bit worried about the tough winter last winter, but seeing a lot of fawns, uh, so not a big fawn mortality, and then seeing all age class of bucks, which is a good sign. So, super pumped, just so fun. I uh, can't believe hunting season has already come and gone, but it has, and we're wrapping it up. And uh, be time to work towards next year and finding success. So um, I do really enjoy that as well. Uh, so I'll be putting a bunch of effort into that and recording some podcasts on next season and um, self-improvement. So we'll get those out to you and just lining up some really good guests for the podcast to keep this thing rolling for you guys um, to help make the uh, off season a little bit easier. And, you know, this is part of our skill set is improving our knowledge and, um, you know, being able to take a, a, a good planning or good approach to next season's hunt. So uh, couldn't be more stoked. Uh, I'm going to get out of here, go do some hunting, leave you guys with a couple podcasts, and I'll check in with you guys next week. Well, yeah, um, you've been keeping busy? Yeah, I've been keeping busy uh, since I've been back, uh, you know, just getting back into the swing and things with work and um, family, of course, and um, <clears throat> been trying to just, uh, you know, you you spend so much time preparing and allocating time to to train and to um shoot your bow and just uh, pour over maps and try to understand your game plan right so there's so much focus on that that when you get back um you really have an opportunity to reconnect with family and obviously all the responsibilities that work has and so that's that's really where it's been the last um i guess it's been just over a month since I've been back. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. It's so freeing, isn't it? Like <laughs> to have, uh, this, this passion or this purpose or something that we get so excited for that, um, uh, that requires, or, you know, that, that makes us want to put in all this time and effort and, um, preparing ourselves and our body and our mind. And look, we play through the hunt and how it's going to go over and over. It's, um, it's it's so nice to have these adventures to go on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, you know, hunting out west has always been um, a passion of mine. I actually, prior to starting four years ago, um, I had been on one elk hunt previously with my father when I was 16 or 17. Um, I grew up in Iowa, and uh, we were avid bow hunters in Iowa white for whitetail and dad and I took a trip. It was my senior year and we went out rifle hunting in Northwestern Colorado. And, uh, I, at that time had no idea it was such a Mecca for such a great location for elk, but we were out there on second or third season rifle. And, um, yeah, I got the bug then. Um, we, I, we, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we were trying and we were out in the, in the forest and camping in the back of the truck. And I specifically remember us sitting a few hundred yards apart from one another on a ridge and uh, a few cows and a, a raghorn came down the, the hillside towards me. Um, and 
at that time, and I think it still exists today, Colorado has a pretty strict rule about the number of points um, to to make a legal bowl. And I wasn't quite sure if that raghorn had made the, the cut. <laughs> and so um, I didn't take the shot. And uh, afterwards, my my I asked my dad, who was just a few, yard, a few hundred yards away, I said, well, did you see him? Uh, he goes, see what? And I said, well, the elk that went right below me. And he said, I didn't see him. He goes, I wish I would have saw him. But anyway, so we, we had a great time. And um, I think at that time you could purchase it. You could purchase an elk and a mule deer tag. And then either party could shoot either animal. So I had a mule deer. He had it elk so that we saved a little money on the cost of tags and um i ended up spooking a, a mule deer uh really close a little buck probably a little forky i can't remember and he quickly made it to the bottom of the canyon and uh startled me more than anything but i remember trying to um take a shot i'd missed him but um at any rate that was my first uh, my entry into Western hunting and I continued to bow hunt all through uh, high school and, and college back in Iowa. And then um, <clears throat> after that, I first moved to Denver and then I moved out to California in 2004 and pursued my career pretty, pretty, uh, pretty focused, pretty laser focused on my career and living in Orange County, um, hunting just took a back burner uh it was something that i always thought was there and i'd get back to it and um you know before you knew it um 15 years had passed and uh i hadn't i hadn't picked up a bow so yeah i've just i've re-engaged um my passion and actually 2019 i went online and bought a bought a Halon 32 uh, Matthews um, used bow on on eBay if you can believe it uh, and started practicing and hunted um, deer here in the local hills east east of where I live I live in Oceanside California so I'd go into the uh, Cleveland National Forest and and try and um, uh, hunt muleys it's a very uh, small subspecies. I don't know if it's a subspecies, but they're really small little muleys here um, in in uh, Southern California. So I started that in 2019, and then I went on my first archery elk hunt in 2020 with a good friend from Iowa. He, he met me in um, Southern Colorado, and the two of us had our first hunt, and that was back in 2020. Yeah, that's wild. What's it, what's it feel like to... Uh, to re-engage in like a like a hobby like that like the years click off so quick like a 15 year break from from bow hunting um mm -hmm. did it feel like something something was missing did it was your passion just in other places at work like what is it what is um bow hunting done for you like hunting the west like the last few years being so engaged in these hunts yeah i think i think for me um it was it was I had a lot of focus on work. Like I said, I was living in Orange County, Southern California. It it is possible to hunt here, but it is difficult. Um, you, you're probably looking at an hour and a half to two hours drive to get into um, 
some country to get into some public land that you can uh, access and hunt. Uh, but, you know, I was also living in Southern California and I wanted to do Southern California things like I I tried my hand at surfing when I first moved out and um, I got in. Fishing has always been a as well and so i i um, went uh, deep sea fishing when i had time available so um that that kind of just it it scratched that itch for me to have an outdoor to have an engagement um, with the outdoors uh and then after six years i actually um i got married and then my wife and i moved to right after getting married we moved to boston i went to grad school and when I was in Boston, again, maybe could have engaged hunting then, but really grad school took up so much time. So I just took those those uh, couple years and got that degree. And then my wife and I actually lived overseas in Hong Kong for two years after grad school. And uh, we figured that was the time to to take that adventure, and it was. We we were young, just married, and uh, we actually my daughter was born over there, which was wonderful. Um, and really, after she was born, that that pulled us back to the states. Um, and I had spoken to a gentleman who, prior to leaving overseas, and he suggested that if I ever come back to the states, I'd have a job with him so I ended up we ended up moving to Miami and I lived in Miami for two years where we did um, 20 2014 to 2016 and then when I came back to California that's where um, I started thinking about it again um, I, I mentioned my father we he uh, was a huge influence on me and he you know he had me I past my hunter's safety as soon as I could when I was 12 and I was sitting in sitting in my own deer stand as soon as I could at 12 um he passed away in 2013 and so um that also kind of re-engaged my thoughts about just living in you know my memories and and what it meant to me to to be outside and to be to be in the uh in that case, deer woods uh, at first light or before first light, and to hear to hear an animal approaching, um, or even just the the birds and the squirrels wake up, you know. So, I it was it was something that just continued to uh, to speak to me. And then in 2019, I actually had a pretty significant surgery. I had a um, a surgery that had to fix some nerves in um, on the right side of my face, uh, which were it was, it's called trigeminal neuralgia. But basically, what it was was I had intense pain on the right side of my face, and um, I went through the surgery, made it through okay, recovered, and once I recovered, um, I felt like well, I got through that, and. Uh, my son had been born just two years prior and I decided that the adventures that I had with my dad and the connection to nature that that we had through hunting and fishing was something I really wanted to to offer both my kids if my daughter was interested uh, but my son as well 
and so that was really that was really when it started just just getting back into it and and remembering what it meant to me you know as a child and as a young adult in in high high school and college good for you it's um Man, it's uh, the bar for entry can be so high, especially into to Western game. There's so much to learn, and you had that, um, you know, that that background or that base, you know, of going with your dad and hunting Iowa, and um, mm-hmm. you know, so you had this this base to to kind of start off of. But it had to feel almost overwhelming at first, just like all this information, and you know, throughout. Throughout life, like, uh, it takes so much energy to to be a provider, to to build a good life for yourself, to uh, you know, to take these chances, chances to go to to grad school, to you know, to create this good life that you want to live. Like, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication as is, and so it takes like so much of our energy. And I I forget, like, I you know, it made these moves that at 19 to move out to Montana coming from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, like being in a hunting family and always having it a huge part of my life. It was always, um, uh, it, it, it was always the top of my list and living in a great place. There was so much opportunity for it. And so, you know, in a way I almost take it for granted that, you know, I, I was able to follow my passion for so many years and hunt for so many years, but, uh, man, it it had to be wild, like diving back into it. Just um, especially like in the information day and age, where there's so much information out there, but it's also gotten fairly difficult. Like it is the ultimate challenge, and you realize that. Like once you set off with a bow and you set off into these public lands and try to harvest an animal, like it's not something that you learn in one day, one week, one month, and it's. You know, you you gain information from podcast or literature out there, but then you have to apply it to your own experiences out there. Uh, had to feel like a little daunting at first, like diving into all the research, or was it something that you just couldn't get enough of that uh, you fell in love with all the information and research? Yeah, uh, it definitely. I mean, it was um, really f- for me. I think I I give a ton of to folks like yourself um, that that offer these podcasts and take time out of your busy schedules to provide us all really with invaluable knowledge and shorten the learning curve because I think when I first started um, engaging the concept of, of, of going Western hunting, I, I did search out podcasts and <clears throat> Cody Rich's podcast was one, was an early one that I listened to and I listened to frequently. He's, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, he was, he had his, uh, what do you have? He had, uh, it was Muley Mondays, wasn't it? Wapiti Wednesdays. I remember. So we, I was, I was on his podcast and just, um, soaking up as much as I could. And then I found, um, the exo mountain boys uh steve and mark and they were great because they had they really cover the gamut i mean they'll they'll cover uh questions and answer questions of folks that um most folks have passed by those those questions or those concerns years ago (laughs) you know but they're covering the basics all the way up to you know sort of really in-depth stuff and great guys great gear yep. like they really hunt hard they do a great job with their podcast in fact i think that was the first podcast i was ever on yeah i i remember you being um 
I remember you being one of the guests um, when, on one show that I, I listened to. And so I learned a ton, uh, and then that expands, you know, and then you, you start to open up Pandora's box, and there's a ton of great podcasts out there that, um, that help out. And really that, and then I, I engaged this, um, my friend uh, Nick, who, who's back in Iowa still, he's a, a deputy sheriff back there in Iowa, and he's a killer whitetail uh, bow hunter. He's consistent, very consistent. Um, and I approached him and said, have you ever thought about coming out west? And um, he he said, well, you know, let me think about it. Let me talk to my wife. And anyways, through back and forth, we ultimately decided that, yeah, we'd go for it. And um, he's hunted with me. Out of the four years, he's hunted with me two years and um, never had a tag. Came out, you know, on his dime, drove out the, you know, one time to Southern Colorado and one time out to Southwest Montana. And, you know, we spent we spent the week together or, or eight days. And really, I think if I hadn't had him to to uh, partner with to say, yeah, I'll do it with you and and we'll we'll struggle together you know um i think i think it would have been really hard to make that first step to make that first hunt um so all the credit goes to him to coming out and sacrificing his time his vacation and uh getting in the the elk woods with me so um yeah that's that's how it all started and it's nice to have somebody to team up with isn't it like uh you know especially on these first trips it's like it's nice to have somebody to share the experience with too and Mm -hmm. i I think it enriches the experience you know when you can share it with somebody like the military has a saying that um two is one and one is none you know just that you're that you're stronger and that you're a better hunter like with a, a hunting partner especially when you have like a friend that you can really trust and um, uh, really enjoy their company. Like I, I know, you know, my buddies, like, um, you know, family's number one to me, but, um, my friends are, are, um, a close second It's like, I think the friendships and connections we make are so important in life, but I love sharing these hunts with buddies, like, uh, laughing with them, like enjoying the hunts yeah. together. And, and you can kind of build strategies and structures around hunting with a buddy or around hunting with a couple different guys where, you know, everybody gets, uh, opportunities and, and then you're able to share that experience and really share that adventure. I, I think it's, um, I think it's powerful, like to, to find a buddy like that, that you can share a hunt with. And it sounds like you have a good one that, um, you're sharing these hunts with yeah yeah absolutely we um first year out was 2020 in colorado and uh we went uh i think we started um labor day weekend and then hunted that next week through uh and that was the year um where the the snow just dumped it is just we had six inches of snow uh over it actually came through as a thunder rain and then thunder snow event, which was incredible because we were we were up on top of one of the ridges when it all happens and kind of waited it out underneath a, a, a dense pine tree. Uh, but that was all part of it. I mean, that was incredible, right? Just to just it was like uh, it was it was being in your own theater. You know, it was like this first first row seat to a symphony uh, as that rolled in and um we 
we spooked some elk. Um, we got into some elk the first day. I remember the smelling the elk for the first time was incredible uh, as we'd heard on podcasts that that would happen. And if that happens, you should be alert and be ready. Um, we didn't see the elk that day, but we did get into elk, mostly cows and, and spikes um, that trip. And we, we, we had a branch antler bull tag, so, you know, there was no no uh attempts there that season but um we learned a lot we he came out with a canvas tent and we set that up and tore it down and set it up again and we quickly realized we didn't want to do that again uh so that was the first year you know uh and then my second year so i've actually hunted now four years in five states uh which is kind of incredible but living in california elk tags are pretty scarce even for residents i mean i I don't know if they hand out 40 or 50 tags a year it's not much Uh, um archery tags for sure uh there isn't very many tags uh so it forces you to just learn all these western states all, all the neighboring states and i had put in for arizona i'd heard randy newberg just rave about arizona and uh i live next to it so i said well um it's you know four hours away four or five hours away uh phoenix is from where i live uh so anyways i i put in um for a unit that was supposed to take two three two three uh points to draw and i drew it with no points uh a late season archery uh tag for 2021 um so there there it went i had my tag but that coincides with the rut uh for deer back in back in iowa um and maybe just a a busy time of year for nick so he wasn't going to be able to join me um so my wife's nephew went with me uh never been hunting (laughs) he'd never been uh i don't think he'd ever uh backpacked or camped overnight uh, so it was a huge adventure for him. And uh, we went in there and we we did a three-day backpack into some remote country trying to reach some more um, uh, uh, just faraway tanks, some of their, their watering holes there. And uh, in the end, we, we got to the tank and there was no water and, and therefore no elk, or at least we assumed there was none. But after that, we we continued to hunt tanks each morning um and would you know we were getting up at three in the morning and i think my my nephew thought i was crazy but we were we were getting up super early because in arizona uh the way those tanks work is first come first serve so if you're sitting on the tank um then it's i mean it's the other hunters should heed to that right they're not very big spaces so um more than once we'd go in and could hear the four-wheelers pulling up after we had arrived at these tanks so it was kind of a uh completely different than colorado i mean the spots were just hunting elk that time of year when you're post rut um the ground was was loud right to travel through the through the ground you couldn't do it in a stealthy way um and so my best bet was just to sit water every day and uh we eventually got our chance um that was a any bull tag which would include a spike and uh we did late one afternoon um uh the cows showed up to the tank we were on and uh i was standing in a blind that had 
was made of pinion junipers or uh, some combination of brush and and uh, uh, dead limbs and things that people had pulled in used for years. And it just so happened that the setting sun um, was right in my eyes. And she showed up, uh, the first cow showed up just below, way in between me and the setting sun. So my son, the eyes, the sun was right in my eyes. And um, I stood there uh, as silent and motionless as I could. And the lead cow's calf went down into the water and splashed around uh, as as calves will do. Uh, and I, I thought, okay, well, let's see. Let's see. You know, this is a 30-yard uh, best, 30-yard shot if they come in. And um, the lead cow, uh, she's, you know, incredibly wary and uh she she caught me uh basically i was just lit up like a christmas tree right with the sun in my eyes and uh she she caught a little motion or maybe some a little bit of noise there um from movement my my nephew was trying to get a position where he could see um and anyway, she locked on to us and she barked at us a couple times. And when she left, it sounded like a whole a whole herd of them. So who knows if there was a spike in there or not. Um, but that was uh, that was 2021. And uh, so in some ways, I, I had a level of confidence that I was getting into elk or that strategies were providing opportunities I, I knew in listening to you guys and just deer hunting back in Iowa growing up that you don't get a ton of opportunities you may get one two I don't know three tops you know you'd see um, you can't expect more than that so um, just learn 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 you know which is which is what we tried to do and uh, that was 2021 and then Last creating those opportunities is so important isn't it like uh the learning curve and trying to to make this like it's so much effort to get that one chance at those cows coming into that water hole you're talking a, mm -hmm. a week worth of effort and then all the research yep. and all the practice you you try to prepare yourself for these these little moments to be clutch at but you know the better you get at creating those opportunities like uh the the more opportunities you get and the better chance you have to fill a tag so you're right like you're creating these opportunities and it it's wild too like to be able to travel to these different western states it's like this great opportunity that we all have to be able to go experience the best of what these states have to offer and maybe we don't get the same resident low price tags but the the way everything's structured, we're we're able to go to these different states, these Arizonas and Colorados and Montanas, and go experience elk hunting. There is just amazing, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, just as I'm fortunate to have you and others for these podcasts, I'm we're all equally as fortunate that every Western state provides some level of access for non-residents. Uh, you know, because I think Randy Newberg says you're you're a non-resident in 49 states, right? So we're all non-residents to to some degree, uh, unless you're fortunate to live in a state where there's ample tags and that's your your desire is to stay local. But um, as I said, I I had to branch out. So so that was Arizona's 2021, and then 2022. 
um, last summer, Nick was able to join again. And as I mentioned, we hunted in Southwest uh, Montana and um, we hunted that time. We hunted more, I'd say second into third week of September. So we'd pushed later into the season, hoping that the rut would be more full on um, when we were out there. And um, we, we had a great trip. Uh, we got, into some bulls we got uh, some back and forth bugling uh, between us and and bulls which was great because that hadn't happened um when we went the first year and um it, it was it was really cool just to see the chess game that it is to to hunt these these wild animals um is incredible to try and anticipate where they're going to be in the morning where are you going to be first light in the morning to um or before first light to try and intercept them on their way back to bed and i was you know just learning so much every day i remember nick saying we were we were camped we were camped along a road along a meadow a big cow pasture really um out in front of us that was uh, the bottom of a drainage with pretty pretty dense forest on either side and you know we're i don't know 12 15 miles off the main road so a ways back in there uh there were other folks but there wasn't near as many as i thought there'd be and um nick says to me he says because uh, we were hearing bugles in the night and uh, Nick says, well, those elk are in the meadow right out in front of us in the night. And I said, no way. I said, there's cows out there. I said, they're not interested in that. They're they're more secluded than that. And he was right that the elk are pouring down into the meadows and they're they don't they don't care if there's cows down there. Or, you know, that's where that's where the cows, the elk were wanting to be. And so once we started to figure that out, then we could figure out where how the elk were retreating in the morning and um we had like i said we had some encounters um we had uh one instance where a bull was bugling later in the afternoon we were up higher and we worked down towards him which wasn't great right the thermals would have been not in our favor uh, but we were trying to hustle to get closer towards um his bugle and uh we actually happened upon a bull in between us and the bull and found him we basically bumped him out of his bed i we later went up to his bed and realized he'd been there you know he, there's fresh scat there and um it was where he'd been laying and we had an encounter with him uh so that was the very first time after three years that was the first time where we'd engaged a bull i could see him and um, we were we were trying to call him in, but you know, having bumped him, I, I don't think he certainly didn't smell us. Um, we hadn't scared him enough to blow him out of country, but I think he was a little bit too wise to to uh, to engage us. So that one didn't work out. But then um, we we started to pattern him. It took us a few days. We went into a couple spots that we thought were money you know, and looking at our GoHun app and, you know, that pre-planning and got back in there and it was dry and we couldn't find any fresh sign. So that was a day or two that that we back backed in and we came back out. But once we figured out the pattern, we were we were getting into them fairly consistent every afternoon. They would uh, the elk were 
coming down out of bed and dropping in elevation and we we'd engage bulls almost every afternoon it just it never quite materialized and what i learned in that hunt is that you have to know when to go slow and when to go fast and you have to you have to understand that while you don't want to bump these animals they're not white tails and um they just the size of these elk in my eyes or my perception um suggests that uh breaking of sticks and just sound in the in the forest is not the same for them as it would be for uh, a deer let's say and so if i think if we'd used topography a little better i probably could have been making approaches or moves um on on the the setup while nick was behind or maybe he's moving up with me um as he was calling but nonetheless uh we had had a great trip and um got into them you know so that had me pumped uh for for this year for 2023 man it is such a chess match isn't it troy it's like uh Mm -hmm. it's it's just not black and white and even getting into these elk like uh to be able to to learn and adapt and evolve like you know it's it's just i you know i notice that i get on these animals these elk or mule deer whatever the case is and it it's just um you know you have to listen to your gut and listen to your instincts and you make moves on them and you make mistakes and it doesn't quite work out but your takeaways and your your um uh, adaptation and, and evolution as a hunter like you can I can hear it like starting to flourish like you're you're engaging your brain and trying to figure out these elk and then realizing your pace like that element of surprise is everything but you're right you can get away with more noise on those elk and also elk are different in that they really travel a lot of country like they use uh, their ability to be able to move tremendous amounts of, uh, of, of miles and elevation to be able to separate themselves from whether it's predators or whether it's just the way they move through the mountains and use feeding and bedding features because they're such big animals and they have to, to graze different parts of the mountain range. But they really use that distance. And you you can um, you can tell right away, like you get on a bull and you hear a bugle and, boy, he might only be a couple hundred yards and then – the next time he's a few hundred yards and the next time he's a half mile and the next time he's gone and you can't even hear his bugle anymore. Like you really like there's times when you're elk hunting when you have to jog to keep up to those elk. But then there's other times like you have to know when to slow down like that bedded bull that you got in close, bumped him out of his bed. And then he wasn't interested in coming into a call or you couldn't get close mm-hmm. enough because he knew there was some danger around and you had bumped him. And you're right when you talk about that elk hunting is all about pace, like knowing when to speed up and jog at times and knowing when to slow down and knowing, you know, like you were starting at three in the morning in Arizona, like knowing when to start your day early to be able to catch up to them or knowing in the afternoon, like, uh, uh, you know, I, I think like I read your write up of that bull that you killed that we're getting into the story now, but you waiting for the evening to dive in on them. Like, um, you know, just knowing that timing and being able to adapt your skills is so imperative to like this elk hunting and hunting the West. And I think that chess match that you're talking about is, is like, 
so much of the fun and the engagement of doing this that it is so difficult and that we do have to use our brains to come up with these different strategies and we fail a lot but i think that's why it feels so good when it comes together oh 100 percent. i can you know so so that's third year uh no uh no bull down yet and you know you come back home you you i go into work as you can imagine there's the work is not filled with a, a bunch of western hunters um so for to try to describe to co-workers why i'm so thrilled to for the next year um and how i'm gonna double down efforts you know and i'm gonna i'm gonna study more and i'm gonna train more and i'm gonna shoot my bow more uh and we're gonna make it happen um uh i got some weird looks at work you know <laughs> they're like really so you're gonna go for a fourth time and still no success and i had to explain to them and to my family too success isn't necessarily punching the tag i was just listening to your podcast with your buddies your aussie friends and uh, i was listening to just how fulfilled they were with their hunt and imagine flying i know you know this because you you go over there and hunt too but flying halfway around the world um to to go on a hunt and uh live live leave the country with your cup full um and you you didn't you didn't uh, punch a tag so uh yeah it's the chess mass it's all that is what brings you back and um i i went into this season you know which really starts in a month or two right idaho has their uh they have their draw or their their lottery if you will december 1st and so uh you're right back in it and um that's that's where my 2023 starts um i i got online like everyone else and i got a decent number i guess out of the 60,000 people or however many people jump online that that morning for the idaho tag do you remember your number it was 6,300 and something. Oh, that, that's better than um, any number I've got so far on that lottery. Yeah, yeah I usually end yeah. up in the twelve or 14,000 range or something like that. Yeah, this was the second year I tried it. The first year, I just, it was way like, like that. It was way back, and there was no chance of pulling that but yeah i had six thousand and my number came up and i got on and and i'd done my research so i had four or five units picked out um of where i'd say okay if not here then here if not here you know and just working my way down and uh you get on there the clock is ticking it's all a little nerve-wracking and none of my units were available <laughs> the ones that i had researched uh, and so then i started to panic a little bit and um, i ended up grabbing a tag so i'd have one uh which was an a tag in in idaho you have a tags and b tags a tags are um not exclusively but primarily geared towards archery hunters and then the b tags are more geared towards opportunities for rifle um and so i had an a tag and i was i was stoked just to have one you know um and over the course of the summer Idaho actually, uh, they have resales. They have they'll they'll allow a certain percentage of refund on their tags throughout the year, um, depending on how close you are to when the hunt starts. And I uh, I just got into that program just watching that closely, and um, it took me three or four tries, but I eventually was able to uh, get through and uh, pull a, a, a 
a much better tag, a tag that um, the unit was over objective and um, there were lots of positives about it. Um, and uh, so I went for that and I, and I upgraded like same tag. It cost me $2 and 75 cents to switch it or something like that. <laughs> so, so nothing to switch it. Um, but I got that tag and quickly had to kind of pivot and do the e-scouting for that unit. Um, but that was, that was happening through the course of summer. And, and that's the other thing I was, I was e-scouting the units that would come available each month, right? So I was looking and doing comparing and contrasting and looking at harvest success and all of that for units that maybe there was only two tags available in this upcoming return tag uh, draw. And I was, again, just um, ranking them in order. Uh, So when I finally got that better tag, I I felt like I was set. Now, this year... uh, Nick wasn't able to join me, so I knew I was going to be solo, and um, that was that weighed pretty heavy on me. But um, you know, my dad. I, there's a picture of me standing next to my dad and a couple deer hanging in the barn with his buddies when I was two or three. You know, so I've I'm accustomed to hunting and the solitude that comes with it, and uh, I knew I would be fine. Um, I'd done enough nights hunting and camping throughout the last three years, and so I was geared up towards it. The, uh, you know, the bear situation made me a little bit nervous. I mean, the unit I ended up getting was in uh, southeast Idaho. Um, not, I don't think it's considered part of Yellowstone's greater ecology. Uh, but it's not far away. So I knew that there was potential for bears. I did call um, Idaho Fishing Game right away and spoke to a biologist who was able to at least tell me that there were no collared grizzly bears uh, in the unit that I was going to hunt. So that was you know, somewhat reassuring. <laughs> but uh, I, at any rate, I, I realized that the having an interaction with with a dangerous bear the, the chances of that are far less than having an accident on the interstate 15 on my drive up into the mountains you know so um i had my bear spray and i was prepared for that in the meantime i i'm applying across different states and uh utah had decided to offer a lot of uh, antlerless archery, early season archery tags um, throughout many of their units in a way to help control their population. So uh, I looked into that. It was a draw. It was kind of a weird time uh, for the draw, but uh, I just keep focused on my emails and saw that an opportunity was coming up. And darn if I didn't uh, pull an antlerless uh uh, elk tag in Utah for this year as well. So now I've got two tags. Um, now, luckily, uh, my wife is very supportive and uh, supported me for taking as much as two and a half weeks off. Um, so I had planned and left um, Southern California here on August the 31st and headed up towards a unit um in uh east of 
east of the the great uh the range um it was in the wasatch mountains so um and i hunted there had planned to hunt for five days which i did and uh i never saw a cow elk the entire time it i don't know if you remember brian but uh and i want to say you were out hunting too maybe a muley tag you had but uh it rained it rained um it rained in Vegas, actually, as I drove through Vegas, and it never stopped raining. It rained on me every day in Utah. And I, the two is is one and one is none applied. I had two pairs of boots and <laughs> got both of those wet and was dealing with wet boots, which uh, I'm sure you know is can be a challenge. It's a little hard to dry them out. Um, but that was... A quick that those five days went fast. I I I never did, as I said, I never did see a cow elk. Um, I did though uh, bump a, a real nice six point. This is actually a limited entry unit, but they again they use um, this more general tag to clear out the to just control population. So I happened to bump a real nice six point at 30 yards. And did so by dropping 2,000 feet off the top of the mountain down into this beautiful north-facing bowl. And I had the place to myself. And um, I managed to not spook him until I was right on his bed. I think he was right on on his bed. And uh, that was an encounter. You know, I mean, I was bummed that he spooked, but I was, I was, it was cool to to find him down there. Uh, and I think I did. 2,000 feet of vert that day. You know, it was a big day. And Brian, that made me excited too because when I realized I was going to be solo and, uh, you know, I'm three years into this investment, the the time, the money, getting all the gear, um, I told myself in January, I just, I just started running. (laughs) I just was, was running. um, I had done this before but i'd established a 5k loop around my house and so i was doing that uh, a couple times a week uh, trying to fit that in with work and the kids and all the schedules um and then i was uh, hiking when i could too and then of course shooting my bow um shooting my bow is a challenge i, I know we talk and you you tell me about your you know working on your vegas round there in the garage I don't have that luxury. Um, I live in the city. So um, I had actually, through the years, found a little pull-off spot off a highway in some public land where I could shoot out to 60 yards. And so I grab my my targets and I head out. It takes me about half an hour or 40 minutes to get out there, but that's that's what I do. And once I get out there, I've got – obviously, I've got the place to myself and um, – so shooting, running, um, and hiking was what I did. I tracked it all, which I, which is for me was useful. I, I have a Garmin watch, and that helps me track my progress. And I'm able to, you know, check my time from week to week or month to month, but also just duration. How many, how many runs are you getting in? And uh, this year, I actually, I increased my distance until i was up to like a 10k and um i i just turned 44 this summer and um my heels started hurting and it turned out i had plantar fasciitis 
so I had run too hard too fast for for my my body and uh, I had to have physical therapy to, to straighten that out uh, before before I left for my hunt so um, the learning isn't just about the elk you know it's also <laughs> it's also about how much um, how much can your body take ease into it you don't have to climb the mountain all in one uh, you know one attempt and uh but i did and um so true we just have to learn about our bodies as well and it's adding those layers of strength without overdoing it but you're always kind of pushing that line of uh when you're when you're adding those layers that you can push it too far and then once you get an injury you get a setback but uh how good did it feel like um you know this this passion that you have is now driving you to to be a runner and to run around and like uh it it has to feel good you know not only on these hunts being able to travel these mountains better but just in everyday life as far as energy engagement with the family stress relief like you're building all these positive habits around this thing that you love like uh i i think it it just um it makes for a better, more fulfilling life and more enjoyment out of it. It really helps the mind too. I find is to have something like that as a as a stress reliever. You know, to to get away from the the work grind or the problems, or to work your way through those problems. Is did you find that as well when you when you started doing this and working out and working towards this goal of trying to arrow a bull? Yeah, absolutely. I um. You know, they talk about how your body releases endorphins when you run and how um, I think for me, I was I was sedentary for a long time. I mean, um, I I had this nasty habit of, of smoking that I couldn't kick from college and I decided to quit that back in 2016. And that really helped open the door for me, too, because I couldn't imagine being active enough to to uh, summit a mountain in pursuit of these game um, if I had that hanging on. So I'm, I'm you know, super uh, proud that I quit that. But, yeah, I. I never had felt or really recognized these endorphins that that come along with the run. So, so yeah, I'd try and sneak a run in where I could uh, early mornings, sometimes late in the evenings after I got home from work. But, but I always noticed, especially if I uh, got up, got out of bed, and went for a run before work, um, just clarity you'd have at work which was really cool and um yeah having that discipline in life was good i think it it uh showed my family just a dedication to your goal you know and with the hard work that it takes i think <clears throat> so since january i i ran a total of 200 miles and i hiked 100 miles and um that that was an accomplishment, you know, and, and I could, you know, it, it, it paid off in the end, but yeah, it, it really did. It helps you in all aspects of life. And, um, you know, when, when the end of August and September finally came, I felt like I was as ready as I could be. And I, you know, I, I listened to you, I listened to others talk about their hunts and, um, you know, the, the pursuit of different game, high country muley, it sounds um, like a fantastic opportunity and I want to work up towards it. Um, but there's some incredible hikes in between, <laughs> you know, I spotted one or uh, the truck and where you actually get into country, right? So 
I want to keep this up um, and keep pursuing so that, you know, I have these opportunities uh, because, you know, they're just you're not going to have the opportunities um, if you're sitting on the couch and, you know, just dreaming about it. So. So, yeah, it it absolutely um, has helped me. And I've seen the benefits, not just not just in this pursuit. So. um, So, yeah, let's let's get into it. So I. Utah wrapped up quickly, five days, and I was out. So there now I'm in my fourth state uh, with no success or, you know, no tag punched. Um, and I headed into Idaho on September the 5th and uh, pulled in late at night. I wasn't actually that far. It was three, four hours from where I was at in Utah to where I was in country um, in, in southern Idaho. Uh, pulled in to a spot. No one was around. I was on a, a national park or a national forest road. Um, and, you know, in the morning I, I got up and ascended a mountain and um, got into the backside um, and was loving it. I remember taking a photo and sending it to my wife and she said, well, you must not have hiked too far. You, you got a pretty, uh, pretty chipper grin on your face or something like that. And I said, Oh no, I have (laughs) that day. I did uh, 2,700 feet of vert and it, it was a killer for me. It was, that was a lot. Um, And I did get in the backside. I, I bumped several muleys, um, but didn't see any elk, saw some sign, but not a lot. Um, Spent two, three days in that area and realized, um, these 2,700 foot climbs each day might be might be more than I'm able. I, I might not be able to do this every day. You know, I was thinking to myself, especially if I get up there and they're and I'm not into them. And so <clears throat> I pivoted and decided to move to a different part of the unit. And I spent the morning hunting and then quickly packed my stuff and headed over. Uh, and once I did, I drove that portion of the unit and tried to just get a lay of the land, understand where camps were, understand where road and access were, understand just how rough the roads were um, or impassable they were. Um, and sometimes you'd find that and you'd have to back out. Um, I, I've got a little uh, RAV4. It's, it's four-wheel drive, but uh, it's not a side-by-side. You know, and there's there's some of those roads are not all that well maintained. So anyways, I, I got a sense of the place um, and I pulled in and started making camp and uh, a gentleman pulls up in a side by side and there was a a, a a pole set up for, you know, hanging meat, I suppose. And I thought, well, this must be an outfitter camp that that I was set up in, but it's public land. And so I didn't know if he was the outfitter or what, but it turns out he was just a neighbor. He's down the road, was a local Idaho resident. And uh, we start shooting the breeze and I'm telling him my story. And, you know, this is my fourth year and I'm here alone and, you know, hoping to get into him. I had an any sex tag. So really, I was just looking for an opportunity on an elk uh, to have that first success. And he later informed me that he popped by because he had had a big bowl spotted behind my camp. <laughs> and so he wanted to just test the waters to see what I was up to and see if he had some competition on that bowl. And uh, I just chosen the spot because it was actually, it was about four or five miles, Brian, of north-facing slope. Uh, 
that wasn't incredibly steep or incredibly high. Um, and so in my mind, while I know there's elk up high, this this entire frontage of five miles of north facing slope cannot be devoid of, of life, right? So I wanted to go in and check it out, and that was the whole uh, idea. So he had told me, he says, well, he says, don't forget about across the road. Uh, there's some cuts. There's some canyons over there you can check out. He says, I've had, I've had luck there in the past. Uh, and he wished me luck, and he was on his way. I decided to go back up behind camp the first day. did a big day, you know, 14, 15-hour days in before dark and out after dark. And um, I bumped a spike, and uh, he was bedded underneath a lone pine tree on a south-facing slope. So he shouldn't have been there, right? Everything tells you there there won't be any elk in the south-facing slope as you move from one portion to another. Uh, but there he was. And uh, then I got into a, a north-facing slope and bumped a cow and uh, uh, two calves, um, which was frustrating because, you know, you don't want to bump them. And I think what I learned that day is I did a big day, you know, I don't know, it was five, six miles, which for me was a lot. And um, I realized that you don't have to cover success alone is not just your distance or, you know, how many north facing slopes did you poke your head into or worse, blow through and blow out elk that maybe you didn't even see. And so I realized got to slow it down. You've got to slow it down. Your your abilities or your physical capabilities might require it. And so that that was actually a really good primer uh, for the next day. At the end of that day, I was sitting on a wallow. I'd found a wallow, and I thought, well, I've been trying to do some calling sequences. It's not it's not worked out. Um, so I'll sit on that wallow. And uh, about a half hour before dark, I heard a bugle, and uh, that was I think the first bugle I'd heard. So let's say that must have been September eighth. And uh, at first, I immediately discounted it for a human, which I'd heard on podcast a dozen times. If you hear a bugle, assume it's an elk. <laughs> and I sat there and I tried to convince myself it's just a human. Don't worry about it. You know, and then I thought to myself, why are you here? Why have you run all those miles? Why, why have you spent all this time and money away from family and um, get up and find out what it is? And so I'll be darned if he didn't bugle again. And I decided, okay, I'm going to go for it. So I went up this ridge as quick as I could. Um, you know, I don't know. I was four or five hundred mile or uh, yards, sorry, uh, from where I'd been sitting in this wallow. And uh, I let off a bugle, and uh, he responded. And so I thought, well, I I think that's an elk. And then I went a little further, and I determined, which might have been wrong but i determined he was on private because i was right at the end of the national forest and uh there was some private back there that actually uh, david the uh, this local had told me there was a big ranch back there and he said there's untold number of elk he said that that are down in that uh, uh private and so i told myself that's what it was and it was getting darker so i decided not to go for the bull i decided not to go the extra whatever it would have been six seven hundred yards to try and engage him walked back to the vehicle and you know i, I was glad to finally have an encounter um but uh you know wished it had been sooner or i'd have been closer um 
So next day, next morning, I wake up. I, I decided to sleep in. I made myself a good breakfast. I tried to recharge. And I decided I was going to go across the road and go into these cuts or go into these canyons. And uh, I headed in not early. I mean, it was mid-morning. I think it was 1030 or something before I headed in. I took it slow. I had a concept to take a big loop and work through these cuts, up and down through these cuts, play the wind, and um, maybe do a few calling sequences, um, some cow calling sequences, and see if I could rustle something up. And uh, I I did that, and I crested one of the cuts, and I was sitting on top or just inside of the ridge, and the thermals were just cranking when I got to the top, and they were blowing towards the north-facing slope that I was targeting, or I planned to target that evening, assuming that there would be some elk tucked in there. And so I got down off the ridge enough to where my – uh, uh, my scent wasn't pushing so hard and I waited it out. I sat there for an hour. I think he even dozed off, uh, sat there for an hour, hour and a half. And then at about, um, 6 PM, I decided, you know, I'd been looking at my, uh, go hunt maps and had decided, okay, work your way down into the cut. And when you do that, you've got a large meadow down below you further down. My assumption was that the elk would work their way down there to feeding, in the evening or during the night. Uh, and above me, I actually had three cuts that funneled into one, the one that I was in. So my thought was, um, almost thinking like a whitetail hunter, let's sit here and maybe we can ambush, you know, maybe we'll have an opportunity and they'll funnel down towards you. So I made a few cow calls. I didn't do too many cause I, you know, that, uh, David had told me, look, uh, don't, don't call a lot. And if you do call quiet, and uh, I took all that into consideration and sitting there now we're we're working towards evening sun is setting um, seven I what I wrote it all down uh, which is what you're, you're referring to Brian but 730 I heard a bugle and again first thought in my head oh that's a person there's a dirt road that went back there and he must be looking he must be searching for an elk so I sat there a bit and then Second one came, went off, and I said, you got to go. You got to go for it. You know, there's only half an hour, maybe 45 minutes before dark. And uh, I packed my stuff up and quickly made it to the top of the canyon um, lip, the lip of the – I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd call it a canyon. It's more of a cut. But I but I climbed up there, and I had marked, I'd marked on Go Hunt where I thought the bullet bugled from. And when I got up there, I bugled it at him. And uh, he responded. And when he responded, I um, more accurately placed where he was and realized he was, I don't know, an extra 100, 150 yards closer than where I had estimated him at the first time. And so I realized, well, this is my shot and it's on, right? So I cut the distance. I decided, okay, I'm going to push three, 400 yards because I estimated him at about 800 yards away. And I wanted to cut that distance three, four, maybe 500 yards. I walked as fast as I could without running and having, you know, just too much of a, uh, a show as I pushed through country. And, um, so, so the north facing slope is out ahead of me. I'm working uphill. Thermals are coming down. So things are working in my favor. Uh, and I get up there and um, 
I think he bugled again as I got in to say 300 yards or so. And I bugled and chuckled back at him and uh, set up. I got set up. And while I was setting up or while I was there, um, I, I did a little soft raking uh, that David had suggested. Uh, you don't have to kill it with the raking. If you, especially in this early season, if you're a little light, you might actually coax in, especially if it's not a huge bull. They might just be curious that it's a it's an inferior bull and not totally fired up, and it might incur, it might pull them in tighter. Um, and so I did a little bit of soft raking, and while I was doing it. Um, cows had started mewing on the slope out ahead of me uh first mews i'd heard all season uh and i thought well this is interesting um and then behind me a bull bugled almost from where i'd come from so i i'm like wow this is i'm in it all of a sudden i'm in the party you know, I've got I've got a bull behind me and I've got a bull ahead of me. Uh, they're both bugling. And uh, I, I like I said, I did a little bit of raking and uh, this bull out in front of me did a, a bark bugle, which I remember uh, the elk nut Paul describing a bark bugle. And you try and absorb so much, Brian. So I'm trying to I'm trying to slam in your, you know, 30 years of hunting into three. And so I was trying to remember what a bark bugle meant, but I knew it was good. Um, so when he did that, I could actually feel it in my chest. And I thought to myself, well, this is what it's all about. This is what all the hard work's been about. This is why everyone's so passionate about this. And um, I got set up, had an arrow, an arrow knocked. And um, about that time, shortly after there, the bull behind me winded me. As I said, he was below me and the thermals. I knew the thermals would get to him, but I wasn't super concerned because I had my target bull, you know, out in front of me upwind. And he blew out. But when he blew out, he kind of blew up behind me and angled towards, well, away from me, but up and up and, and into the cows. It didn't do anything other than run off. And so I think all that did was encourage my bull to check it out. He was like, well, what's going on here? Is there a third bull? You know, what, what, what's going on? The, the timber, the woods were smaller lodgepole pines and some firs. And that gave you an opportunity to see, you know, um, some distance, but not incredibly far. You know, so you had opportunities for shooting, uh, but you also had cover. And after that bull ran through essentially ran through the the scene if you will it was almost like he was on stage and he ran through the cows were up the you know i i thought of them as the peanut gallery all making their chirps and mews and waiting for the show uh that pulled my bull, bull down and i looked and i first got a glimpse of his big yellow side his belly and uh he walked quickly through a through an opening so then i paralleled him for about 10 yards or so. And when I did, I got my first glimpse at some of his points on his antlers. Uh, and remember I had an any sex tag. So I was, I was prepared after four years to shoot a cow if, if I had the opportunity. Um, so I didn't care 
um, what size he was, to be honest. Uh, but I saw a couple of his points, and uh, he was facing towards the cows. And then in the blink of an eye, he turned 180, and he was – I could tell he was, he was on his way out. It, for him, he was – the gig was up. Okay, I, who knows what happened here, but it, something doesn't quite feel right. And I was standing there. I never had a chance to uh, – to range him but you know i hunted for years without a rangefinder when i was young i never had rangefinders when you know back in the uh early late 90s um so i estimated him at about 20 yards and i actually had to tell myself brian i have to say i had to say in my head i'm like this is your shot draw your bow <laughs> because there's just been so much hunting without that this is the first time i I drew my bow on an elk and I drew back and I held and I tried to compose myself and keep it together. And, uh, I had to kind of weave it through a shot was a little tight. There were some uh, branches that I was glad to have seen, uh, that was more in the foreground, sort of halfway between me and the bull. And so I ducked down a little bit and I made the shot and I heard the thwack. Um, so I knew I, I'd made a hit. Um, and, uh, that was it. I'd, I'd connected and I, I sat right there, didn't move. Uh, that was right at, uh, uh, eight o'clock. Um, so still shooting light, but, um, I, I knew I had to give him some time. So, so I sat there for a half hour, uh, and I had one bar of service. So I was able to call my wife and, uh, try to whisper as best I could. And, uh, she was ecstatic, you know, and she couldn't believe it. And, and then I called Nick, my, my hunting buddy, and, uh, he was equally as thrilled. And, uh, I told him, I said, I'm going to wait two hours. I, I, I'm not certain on my shot. I know I hit him, but I don't have the visual of watching it sink into the bread basket. So I, I, I want to just wait. And so he agreed that would be a good idea. And after about an hour of waiting, I called him back and I said, I think I'm going to back out. He goes, okay. He says, biggest bull, our biggest buck he'd ever shot. That's what he did. He he decided to back out. And so that's what I did. I, I slowly backed out of there and I came back first thing in the morning, uh, first light. You know, I was up there with the sun and uh, started in looking. I had marked everything on Go Hunt, where I'd taken the shot, where the bull was, where I thought the trajectory of where he, he ran away at. And, uh, took me about 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes before I found a hoof print, which I was excited about. I assumed it was him just based on the direction it was and how fresh it was. And uh, about five yards later, I spotted my first blood. And within 20 or 30 yards, I thought I'd glimpsed him through some trees and I threw up my binos and uh, focused in and there he was. <laughs> and... Uh, that was that was it. That, uh, I'd finally had success, or you know, I'd finally been able to get one, and uh, that was the beginning of probably too many hours. But I was by myself, and it took me about five or six hours to break him down, Brian. And you know, I was doing my best to keep the meat clean. I did the cutlass method, which I'd never done before, and um, trying hard not to cut myself with these very sharp knives, and. David, the local, and his buddy had called me after six hours and said, how are you doing? Because his camp was actually below the spot. So I would have gone, I actually parked at his camp to go in. And uh, I said, I'm doing all right. I've got three of the four quarters off. 
And he said, okay. He says, how are you doing on water? And uh, I told him, I says, well, I'm on my last swig of water. And he said, okay. He says, I'm coming up. So they came up and um, they uh, they brought me a congratulatory uh, uh, beer. <laughs> we all had a beer there at, at, uh, at the site and some Gatorade, of course, and water and uh, helped me pack out. So they both took a, they both took a load and I took a load and um, I then circled back and came back for the head and uh, the head in the last quarter. So uh, that was, that was that uh, we, we had back straps that night on the grill and it was, it was incredible. And that's so cool, Troy. Um, yeah, just all your hard work and, um, commitment and dedication coming to fruition. And what, what great guys like the local guy that you met, there's such good, you know, hunters, um, for the most part or 95, mm-hmm. 98, 99% or whatever are such good guys, you know, to check in on you, to, to bring you a cold beer and Gatorade and mm-hmm. water. And then, you know, those guys are giving up part of their hunt to help you pack out that That's elk, right. you know, it's, um, it, it's amazing that people would drop everything and be able to work hard to um, help you get that bowl out, you know. And then, um, yeah, just so, just so pumped for you and thrilled for you, Troy, to like uh, put all that effort in and then to have that success and to kill a nice bowl like that. Um, man, it it uh, it's not that you need success to feel fulfilled or to to be a mm-hmm. hunter, but boy, it sure hel- it sure feels good to to arrow a good bowl and now you've got that meat throughout the year and um you know it's just a testament of, like your hard work and dedication to the craft and four years of hard work to be able to achieve that um it, it just nothing feels better does it it's like i know i felt those feelings myself but it just doesn't get any better than that yeah yeah there's no doubt so i'm you know i just couldn't be more thankful i <clears throat> I thought of my dad a lot, you know, as I said, I lost him in 2013 and, uh, uh, we, he had gone elk hunting two, three times in his, you know, thirties and forties and had never had success. Um, so I, I just, I had a moment with him and, uh, it was, it was great. And I think, you know, it propels me on to next year and we'll see how it goes and we'll see how I draw. I've got some points. I, probably have enough to draw the general in Wyoming yes, next year, which, as you know, is becoming more and more of a coveted tag, even the general there. And uh, so I'm excited. We'll see if Nick's able to take time off. Um, but if not, I know I can do it alone if I need to. And uh, that's 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 great. You know, that's pretty that's pretty exciting. So, yeah, I just uh, I just yeah. It was it was uh, pretty emotional, really, Ryan. I mean, it, it's so much work and time, and uh, that goes into it. And I was so thankful, you know, to find him. I um, I actually shot him back a little bit, if I'm honest. Um, I had fairly fairly late in the season decided to go with a mechanical broadhead. Um, I'd never shot mechanicals before, but I'd heard you talk about him on podcast um trail kreitzer was describing a, a mechanical a sever actually is the ones he was using and i looked into him and i decided to take a, a chance on him and i used the i think it was 1.75 inch was a, a diameter on that on that uh mechanical and um i did shoot him back a little bit 
And I think the combination of giving him time and using that very large cutting surface uh, really contributed to to the success. And I'm so glad that I took the time to let him to give him the time he needed, you know, and I didn't press him in the middle of the night or in dark and hear him run away from me. That would have just been I'd have been crestfallen, you know, to have not found him. So uh the patience you know in some ways i'm i'm in some ways i'm as newbie as can be right but then there's other parts of me that because of uh um, early early exposure to hunting when i was young um has given me and age i suppose has given me some um ability to slow things down and yes it's very exciting but let's 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 be uh cautious here uh and it it proved fruitful. You know, I think if I'd have went after him after 30 minutes, Brian, I think he probably still would have had a lot of life in him and it, it might not have turned out, you know, so. hundred percent. It's amazing those decisions really affect uh, the success or not or the outcome of the hunt or, uh, you know, and like those decisions you make not only on the stock or the play you made or getting the wind right or uh paralleling them for 10 yards in the timber all those decisions that 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 you had to make to be able to put yourself in position but uh possibly the most important decision you made was to give him time and to back out because you didn't know where the hit was and you're right mm-hmm. it can come out a lot different those um elk are extremely tough animals and um Man, it takes a it takes a great shot on them to bring one down. So I suppose you caught that liver in their back, which that liver will mm-hmm. kill them. But it does. Like I found a bull alive the next day from a liver hit. And you're right. If you would have jumped him up and he would have pushed on, like you had a hard time finding that first track and that first blood. Yeah. Like who knows? Because they can go hundreds of yards or even miles at that point. And so. Yeah, it's amazing. Those decisions you make to back out, to give them time, those really tough decisions, uh, sometimes those are the determining factor whether or not you recover that animal. So, yeah, you were uh, really wise and made a great decision in that moment. It was good for you to reach out to your hunting buddy and to run the whole scenario by him as well as he has experience. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, man, I just um, I couldn't be more pumped for you, Troy. Like you put so much into this um uh, backcountry bow hunting, and it's so difficult with a bow and arrow to get close and to harvest a bull, and especially, you know, hunting five different states in four years, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to to pay your dues and to to learn how to get into elk and learn how to hunt elk and then to arrow a great bull, man, it just doesn't get any better. Uh, I'm just so pumped for you to to have that success, and it's so fun to to hear about you, like recount, replay it, and I love hearing about you talk about the emotions in your dad and you know the same mm-hmm. way you feel close to your dad like I feel close to my mom when I'm in the mountains or you know I'm able mm-hmm. to to see and reflect upon my relationships in my family or with my friends or like it just gives us such perspective in our life and and uh we get so much out of this this backcountry hunting but um it feels pretty good to have that um have that come to fruition like all that hard work and to arrow that bowl and it it's just not an easy quest like you've got four years of commitment into it you know and it can take longer than that for guys as well you know but um man it's just amazing to see you have such success yeah yeah no and i i couldn't like i said i can't thank you enough i 
I'm so glad this this whole concept of podcast is is in our lives. And, you know, for younger folks that have never really lived life without it, you have to understand that, uh, you know, books, buying books and reading and magazines was how and, and some of the hunting shows, which we all know hunting shows 20 years ago, it was a challenge to learn much from them. There was a, a kind of trophy kill shot and the grip and grin at the end. Um, people are producing videos now, uh, Stone Glacier, you know, the Elk 101, the Destination Elk each year when they created all the videos that you've done over the years. Remy, you know, it. this stuff is incredible because it really gives us an opportunity, anyone gives you the opportunity to um really like i said shorten that learning curve and um i appreciate you brian getting on and uh this year you it took you a while to get into uh to get into your elk and uh you had some some um hunts that that didn't come together uh some days right and uh you know you you gave us an update on the podcast and it was great. It's great. To, I actually think you can learn more from a guy when he's struggling um, and just telling you the decisions you made, like you're just recounting your hunt. Um, but I'm, I'm picking up all sorts of nuggets in there about where you decided to back out and yeah, you'd heard him, but the wind wasn't right and he wasn't going to be in a good spot and you haven't had success going in in midday. Other hunters would say that's the best time to kill an elk. So it's interesting how you just, you take in as much as you can and then you got to get out there in the field and, and see what works for you or what works that day. Right. So, yeah, I just appreciate you. And um, thanks for, for having me on and letting me uh, share share my story. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, thank you, Troy. I really appreciate your time and then appreciate your friendship. Like uh, we've connected yeah. before this and keep in touch. You've helped me with uh, my landscape design and a couple mm-hmm. things. So I really appreciate the friendship and just couldn't be more excited for you and to see all your hard work pay off. So congratulations, man. Great bowl. Great story. Uh uh, again, just really appreciate you coming on and sharing it. And, um, man, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, that sounds great, Brian. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Thanks to Troy for joining me on the podcast and telling a story. Uh, yeah, it's really nice to see guys that dedicate themselves and then see success out of it. Um, you know, it's it's not easy out there, man, to arrow a bull, to arrow a buck, it's it's like the toughest challenge and and especially when you're new to bow hunting it's it's like so daunting and overwhelming it seems like it's never going to come together but you keep putting in the work you keep making plays and eventually you're able to arrow one of those critters and then build on that success as well so um yeah that's um pretty much you know how my western hunting has gone it's just um really working hard on my skill sets and improving them and uh, finding consistent success so um thanks again to troy thanks again to uh our podcast sponsors again elements a new sponsor go check these guys out uh it's it's great for um electrolytes it's an electrolyte supplement the company's called element L-M-N-T, and uh, you can get that promo code, the free gift of um, uh, all the different flavors there, samples. Uh, just put in drinkelement.com backslash elevated, and uh, that'll take you to the landing page and get you that gift. 
And uh, also thanks to Cryptech for everything they do. The best technical mountaineering system I've ever put together. So pumped on these guys. And I love that obscure transitional camo pattern. I think it's a real advantage out there. So check out some of their offerings as well. And everything that we've got going over there at Eastman's. Um, yeah. With that, man, just having a ball. Last hunt of the season, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm tight on time. I've already taken about all the vacation time I can take, but uh, I am going to take a few more days here and um, go chase muleys. The rut has been absolute fire, uh, able to find some great bucks and chase them around. Again, it's just difficult, but, um, yeah, just having an absolute blast uh, taking part in this hunt. And it'll be really fun to join up with a couple of my buddies and hunt as well uh i'm pretty sure be ditching the cameraman this weekend so uh it's always nice to um just go hunt and have fun and enjoy the uh experience so really looking forward to that so i'm gonna get a podcast all loaded up next week i've got some great ones coming up for you guys uh continue to record solos once a month or once every six weeks or so and um Man, it's time to start working towards next season's goals and um, making success a reality. And so uh, just trying to reset and really think over this season and uh, get my mind right back to, um, you know, I pretty much ran throughout the season, but it was um, not my standard running as I put all my effort into bow hunting. So, um, you know, it was like just maintaining and um, I've definitely lost some in my running fitness but uh, my hiking fitness is um, better than ever but uh, yeah back to it here trying to get um, daily runs after work even if they're they're shorter ones and just trying to get back to my training here and um, yeah it feels really good can't wait for um, next season to put in the work and find success again so um, well right on thanks a bunch you guys I really appreciate the support uh, and you know, I I say it, but those um, the the reviews really help. iTunes, Spotify uh, takes two seconds. Uh, really helps with the algorithm continuing this the success of this podcast, so I can bring you guys good episodes. Again, go check out that other podcast with Dan Picard and I, uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal: Life of a Bow Hunter. Really proud how that one came out. We did a great question and answer episode that's up now. It's a long episode, about an hour and a half or so. So um, should be some good listening there. And um, yeah, we'll just keep this train rolling. So um, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate that. Shares on social media. And uh, just appreciate you guys listening in each and every week. So um, means the world to me. And uh, pulling for your guys' success as well. So um, yeah, with that, check in with you guys next week.